Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler. With me as always is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to go follow us on all our socials at Around the 412 and go subscribe to us on YouTube. This week, we're jumping right into the show because joining us this week is our buddies uh, from DK Pittsburgh Sports and The Athletic, Jesse Marshall and Danny Shirey. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us for Penn's Talk after what a terrible season was and... I just want to j- jump into it um, because something I wanted to ask right off the bat, which will age all of us, is Smitty and I discussed where we were and like what time we were in whenever the Penguins last missed the playoffs. And we were in fifth grade. It was the spring of our fifth grade year. You know how so, young Danny is? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, I wanna, so I want to see how young Danny is. I want to see how old Jesse is. So where <laughs> were you the last time the Penguins missed the playoffs? Uh, so I probably would have been in, I want to say third grade. Cause I was only, I might not have even been in third grade. Cause I like Crosby's rookie season was the first year that I like actually started watching hockey. Cause the year before that they had the lockout and I wasn't even old enough to like really know what the heck was going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I basically the entire, my entire life watching hockey, like I've just seen the Penguins in the playoffs. Uh, I was at point park. I was finishing point park. So I was in college uh, might have probably as my junior year, I think junior year of college. Um, Holy cow! You're yeah, old. I know, dude. You're <laughs> telling me. So my whole, uh, you know, my whole, pretty much my whole adult life. Yeah, well, I was wow. just and all of my childhood, was... right? Because eleven yeah. straight years of my childhood too. Yeah, and what's crazy too is I went back and looked, and this is only the fifth year in the last like thirty-two years that they didn't make the playoffs. It was that stretch in the early two thousands, and then this year. <clears throat> Yeah. I want to ask you guys something if you feel the same way about it. Now, is it a little bit different for you because of them missing the playoffs the way that they did? Because like for me, the way I was saying it was like, man, if if you go out like if your stars just totally flame out this year, if they are washed for whatever reason, if this is the year that like they just fall off a cliff, then like you kind of have to accept that. Right. Because that you go down swinging with your core. But that wasn't it at all. Those guys were fantastic this season still. Gino and Sid still being point per game guys. So does it like feel a little bit different being that this run ended with those guys still playing at such a high level? It probably makes it more frustrating. I don't want to speak for Danny, but um, you know, there's so much of like that. And, and I'll, I'll pause for a minute to complain because there's so much of, of what happens from an awards perspective or even like from a national discussion perspective is narrative driven. Right. Um whether it's rooted in reality or not, like I think Danny and I, um, independent of one another, are fighting right now that national narrative that Crosby and Malkin and Latang were the problem. Danny made a whole video about it. Like he, he made a whole video about Latang not being the problem. So I think it, you know, it's it's for us, it's like we we have to go you go to bat for that and say, like, no, like we I think we are trying to write the correct version of the story of what happened here. And it's exactly what you just said, Smitty, right? It's that. Um, is that these players were still good. Um, and when you look at the top six, particularly and how good they were, it's almost unfathomable that they did miss. It's downright silly. So uh, I think it's, it's, it makes it a little bit more frustrating. And then, you know, again, you're going to have your takes come in and the takes are going to be the easy ones. And the easy ones are, you know, blame the guys at the top. And that's not super accurate. Yeah. I mean, I have found it pretty amusing. Like they're, I would say the vast majority of like the national hockey media narrative right now is that like it was a mistake 
he, like regardless of what they did this season, it was a it was a mistake to bring them back, and that now all of a sudden they got to consider this like rebuild or retool after they signed all these guys that are aging already to term past their expiration dates as effective players. Um, the thing for me though, like I've also heard a lot of people like trying to drum up this idea that like oh like the stars didn't get it done down the stretch like they had those last two games all they needed to do was win those two games and they would have got in but what i keep going back to is like yes crosby and malkin did not score a ton down the stretch one because it was probably due to the fact that they carried the team for most of the season but secondly that they hadn't played a full season and who knows how long but what I keep going back to is the fact that if they had adequate depth and an adequate roster around them, they never would have been in a position where it was, okay, last two games of the season, you have to win them. Like if you're getting to that point, that says a lot more about the roster construction than it does your stars who carried you all year. Yeah. And to Danny's point, if you can roll four lines, you've taken the burden off Crosby and Malkin and you know, you've internally reduced their time on ice and the Penguins could never find a way to do that. So it's hard for me to, you know, accept the criticism of they didn't, you know, uh, look at the end of the day, you look at Crosby's numbers and Malkin's numbers are over a point per game at their age. Um, they're both providing, and I'll c- include the hang in this. They're all providing value that exceeds the dollar amount they're currently being paid, right? All of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, replacing that's not easy, right? Um, and second of all, that's with, um, you know, the burden being on them, I think in a way that has really never been on them before. Mm-hmm. And teams being able to pay them a unique amount of attention in a way that they usually don't. Yeah, competitive third line and fourth line, that needs to be respected. And I feel like Mike Sullivan had to heavily lean into that top six in a way that um, was traditionally unique for him, I think, especially to even strength. Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty clear that the top six was the only heartbeat for the team for a majority of the season. And I mean, really, is that second half of the season as well. But since both of you are very um, into the analytical side of the game, obviously, like there's specific players of like Grandling, Carter, Doomlin that we could just point out and, and really harp on those guys. But just where did the team as a whole really lack analytically that really got them to this point in the season? Um, well, I mean, if we want to go back We're to like. <laughs> <laughs> if we want to go back to the start of last season, like it finishing has been a big issue for this team. Like a lot of, a lot of the conversations we're having, we probably wouldn't be having if this team just scored like at an average clip based on their expectations. And that, that has been an issue since the early parts of last season where they have been controlling a lot of games and creating a lot of chances, but for whatever reason, and I, I could go down a long list and rabbit hole here of why those issues might be. But at the end of the day, they've, especially this season, like you look at their five on five goal scoring rate, like they were middle of the pack, even though they were like third or fourth in the league at the rate at which they generated expected goals. Now this season, they were also way worse defensively than they were a season ago. So you combine that with the fact that they didn't get great goaltending from Tristan Jari when he even was available. And the fact that Casey DeSmith was so wishy-washy, like you're already starting to see aside from the Carter and Dumo thing, where it all kind of started to fall off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to finishing with Danny. Um, I think there's two sides to finishing, right? I think when you, you talk about scoring goals, which is what the art of finishing is, you can be bit by random variants. We all know that Jason Zucker, great example, right? When he first came to Pittsburgh, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> shooting percentage, you know, sank at one point to this disgustingly low mm-hmm. level. Um, that happens, man. That's the game of hockey. 
And it's so funny that like we push back on that analytic acknowledgement of that, but we'll anecdotally toss things around like he hasn't scored since the eighth grade picnic and blah, blah, blah. like we accept it in no like as, as a silly thing, but we won't take it seriously when the data supports it. I, I think it's silly to say that the penguins from the time that Danny has been talking about this huge stretch of time have just been whimsically struck by a lack of finishing the whole time. It's probably true in pockets, but it hasn't really been problematic for their top six. I think this year they just had a bunch of really crappy finishers. <laughs> they had a bunch of guys who weren't good at scoring goals in the bottom six, and it anchored what was probably an already bad you know, finishing percentile. I think they finished 31st. They pulled themselves one spot out of the bottom at the end of the regular season, and you know, as far as finishing percentiles are concerned from Jay Fretch's side. But uh, you know, I think if you get a little bit better bottom six, you might end up like, 24th 25th right it's still not going to be pretty but it's going to be better um and i think danny nailed it too that you know looking at, at expectation offensively it was there i think you know they they generated quality scoring chances at a pretty high rate but they they were just hemorrhaging them too much on the other side and hemorrhaging them in a way that um would have challenged teams with good goaltending right and they didn't even have that so they didn't even have average goaltending so i think the defensive decisions that Ron Hextall made did not work. Um, unfortunately, the guys that he shipped out of town are playing really good hockey right now. Um, the Penguins took a step back defensively and, th- and they didn't have the goaltending to lean on to help them out. Yeah. You, you even look at a guy like Brian Rust, everybody was talking about how poor of a season he had. And I, I, I would even say he had a poor season, but you look like at five on five, his expected goal generation or his individual expected goal generation was as high as it's ever been in his career. Right now, granted, you take a look at some of the shots he was taking, he was missing the net by a country mile or like hitting the goalie right in his crest. Like that, that is the kind of thing where it, it was kind of weird because he had like a four or five season history of being a plus finisher, meaning he scored above expectation. So it was a little weird to like see him dip back below, but then you actually look at the tape and see, okay, that makes a little bit sense here. Then you look at another guy like Jake Gensel, who was scoring below expectations. I mean, he had what 36 goals this year, but seven were empty netters. Um, and, you know, you look at a guy like him, maybe he could rebound next season, but again, that obviously didn't help them this season. And I think it was back in January when the, right after the Winter Classic and they were on that Vegas trip, I even took a look at some of his shots and something just seemed off about it. it was His release seemed weird and he didn't seem to like, he seemed the, like the best goal scorers, yes, they're placing the puck, but they're really not placing the puck. They just kind of have the feel for it. And it looked like Jake was taking way too much power off his shot to like try and place it. And in turn, it was just screwing everything up. So right there, you account for like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15 goals that they scored below expectations right there. Well, if they had just gotten those 15 goals, they're probably in the playoffs. Hmm. Yeah, it's crazy to see how much like one or two games, I mean, literally one game, one win and you would have been in. And that's the difference that the season makes. And this team was constructed in such a way that they couldn't even get that done and the top six couldn't carry them there. And because of that, Ron Hextall, Brian Burke and Chris Pryor are all fired. Um, So where do you guys, (laughs) yeah, fist pump, Uh, where do you guys think the team goes from here? I mean, what are some options you think they look at? outside of the organization and do you think that they'll they'll try to get somebody that's more analytically driven or anything like that I I mean I feel like this needs to be a pretty big overhaul for the organization as a whole I mean management and players included plus probably just the mindset of the entire organization 
This is where Danny plugs his article that he wrote about potential GMs. Uh, yeah, I, I did write one of those. I, I, I feel uh, a responsibility to share just because of the position that I'm in. Like everything I'm saying here is not like based on rumors that I'm hearing or anything like right. just purely speculation on my part. Because like the search is just a couple of days old and I quite frankly haven't heard crap about it or, or anything substantial that I'd be comfortable sharing in a public setting. But with that being said, I have a feeling that whoever ends up like as a GM, maybe not necessarily the head of hockey ops, which again, we don't even know if that's going to be a position that they have. We really don't know where this is going at all, but I kind of get the sense that whoever ends up being the GM is going to be somebody that nobody saw coming. Like I, I have a feeling that I've, I've seen 30 different names mentioned at this point. Yeah. One of them might end up as the GM, but I just have a feeling that somebody's going to come completely out of left field, not saying that that's a good or a bad thing, but I, I really think they're going to take a, a long, hard look here at doing something outside the box. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, to your point, Danny, that's how the Ray Shero thing happened. Nobody knew who Ray Shero was when he got hired, right? Like that was completely out of the org, out of left field and was not a name you generally heard attached to that position. I do think based on what I've heard that the interest in Kyle Dubas is really genuine. Um, I think FSG likes him. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know that that interest is mutual at all. I think that, uh, you know, obviously there's there's not even in a position right now where they can really do anything about it, right? Um, but the the I think the general dirt mill is that it comes with this like unbridled control over hockey. Op- That's the selling point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, MLSEs, they have a lot of money. It's not going to money. I don't think money's necessarily it. I think it's the, you know, here, here's the keys, you know, drive, do whatever the, whatever in the hell you want. Um, there was a lot of like, I think, and, and, you know, I'll let, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this more, but I think there was just a lot of nepotism. You know, I think the penguins went into the situation where they said we are hot pre Hextall hire, right. Burks, gets brought in to rebuild their hockey ops, right? Like that's kind of the thing that Jim Rutherford, you know, left in ashes, if you will. <laughs> it was like, they didn't really have like a really good hockey ops st- structure. Uh, Burke's a great guy to, to, to build that. But I think some of the faces that got put in there and, you know, um, <clears throat> Mr. Huffman never has never been a scout before, right? Ever at any level of hockey ever that not seem like maybe a little bit of a nepotistic hire? I don't know. So I feel like they got the structure. That's what they wanted, but they just filled it with the wrong people. They filled it with the wrong people. And there were people that didn't, maybe didn't always know what they were doing. You know, Chris Pryor goes out and wants Mikel Granlin. Like he's living in 2018. So I, I think, you know, I don't know for me, I, I think maybe there's why that there's merit to the Dubas thing. Um, I could also see there being merit to them bringing in a guy, like Danny said, that's completely out of left field as an AGM that they want to groom and bring up and, and, you know, get that business relationship acumen structured out for. There's a lot of people I've been bringing up that I like that I haven't, like, there's no rumor attached, but like, I like Sam Ventura. I like Matt Barlow. Matt Barlow is a name I haven't brought up enough. His contract's up this year. I know that for sure. Um, I don't know, but he's pretty good. And I'd have to think that anybody analytically inclined is going to, you know, be interested in having his name about their organization. So these are just, you know, I'm just spitballing here, but I think that there's still, you know, there's rich possibility to have a guy come in, be like this Wizard of Oz-esque 
overlord over the whole thing. Then they get to do whatever the heck they want. And I think there's also a possibility that they bring in a guy who builds out this like really rigorous team, like what's going on in Vancouver with all the faces that they have. Maybe there's something similar brewing. I don't know, but I think both possibilities um, are willing are, are good to be discussed. I just think that there, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think the Dubas thing I've heard from enough people that I think there's legitimacy to that. Sidebar. Can either of you tell me if, uh, based off that Mikhail Granlin thing, that we know if Pryor's being brought up on charges at all for making that happen? <laughs> it's not. Danny should have gone happen. back to bed for that's that. <laughs> I wish Danny had remembered that night. Okay, wait. I actually I want to ask you guys about that because like we were sitting here. Unless we're missing something, it, it, I mean, we could have obviously different varying opinions on deals that have been made, but like trades and free agency <clears throat> outside of the original Carter trade, so not the extension, just the trade. By the way, Danny, I see you to wake up to come on the show and Ricard Raquel. What else was like a pro from the Ron Hextall tenure in terms of acquiring I've, players? I've got two right here, and they're okay. rather uh, they're rather insignificant. But you look, <laughs> you, you look back um, before the start of last season, right? The Penguins' depth was in a pretty bad spot. Hextall did bring in Evan Rodriguez and Danton Heinen yeah, for like okay. just just over a combined two million dollars, yeah. and they both provided, I'd say, probably at least close to six or eight million dollars in actual value, considering the play driving that Rodriguez brought, as well as the five on five scoring that Heinen brought. Now, well, they had, again, they had Rodriguez back this season, but yeah, yeah, right. So, um, but you, you start going further down the line, and you look, and it's just a, a whole lot of blah, a whole lot of throwing stuff at the wall that, that didn't necessarily stick. Yeah. Bingo. I mean, I, he got, he got good value on Brian Rust, right? I mean, I think that that, that, that contract came in at a lower AAV than I thought it would. Um, yeah. Know, based on what I thought the market would be, but um, coming off the year Rust had, you know, maybe we have a whole nother discussion about whether or not that was good. I don't know, but you the, know, the three I, year then, no, full, no movement clause just stinks. Yeah. Does that uh, play into though, along with like Latang and Gino, where it's like, he just wanted to be in Pittsburgh that much where it's like any GM could have made that happen. I, I not to cut you off, Danny, I, something that just constantly stands out to me. And I, you know, Charlie O'Connor, who works at the athletic does a phenomenal job talking about the flyers, very plugged in over there. When Ron Hexall got hired, I texted Charlie and I was like, what? Te- give me the dirt, bro. Like, what What do you got? Like, you're nobody better to ask than you. And he goes, this guy fears change like nothing you have ever in your life. And I was like, oh, really? That's great. Because, you know, there are problems that are glaring. You know, analytics people will point at them. They're on video. And he just not problem, right? Like, this is not a problem. And, and you saw that here, right? So, like, you know, I don't know, like, I think all these moves, like the Kapanen, you know, all, all go down the line. It was like, you know, there's a comfort in familiarity for him. I mean, that's what it mm. comes down to. It's a risk averse like general manager. Games to wave McGinn. It, it, McGinn went 27 or 26 games without a point, And then it was finally like, okay, we'll put him on waivers. Now. But Danny and I both said at the end of last year, we both, I think, used the same phrase. It's almost the, I don't know exactly what it was, but we basically called Brock McGinn like an empty sweater, right? Like, passenger empty sweater like this is a non-impactful player that's not doing anything at even strength you look at it from a game cor- Former guest of the score show, perspective you know Sorry, like <laughs> like and it's just it is what it is i mean but like he's bringing these players back because you know go back to his time in philadelphia he didn't think andrew mcdonald was a problem what val terry Philpil was horrible for them yeah 
and, and he was like, bring him in, you know, there's another one for you. So it was like, you know, these, th- there was almost like he, you know, he had these, these comfort toys and, and he didn't want to let them go. And um, yeah, that was it. And anytime he stepped out of the box, it was, it was generally bad. So I could see why he felt that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the most, most damning factor of Hexfall's tenure as GM is not so much that the majority of his moves didn't pan out or even fell on their face, but the fact that so many people, whether it was media or fans or just the casual person who watches like 20 Pens games a year, 90% of the moves they made from the get-go, the second it came out was like, what is going on here? You can you could go all the way back to the McCann deal. Like before the expansion draft debacle, I was sitting there talking about how Jared McCann broke out that season, not his first season with the Kraken, his last season with the Penguins. He actually broke out. I'm not trying to go on some Jared McCann tirade here. But you no, look at – no, this is a podcast for Jared McCann truthers. You're on a you're, you're yeah, at home, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. No, we we, I mean, we all support you. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but you look and it's like that was kind of the first string of like really curious moves where you're like, okay, you've got a young, speedy forward here who just had a great season at an extremely reasonable cap hit. You still have him locked up for one more season, even though he is in line for a raise. That that was the craziest part to me about the McCann deal, aside from moving on at him at that point in time or the fact that they barely got anything as a return for him. But the fact that they still had him at like 2.92 or something like that on the cap for another season. And at that point in time, it was like, well, we don't know if Crosby and Malkin and Latang are going to keep doing this for another two or three seasons. Like they basically been operating on a, we need to focus all of our efforts on winning this season right here and now and the future be damned. Of course, they've c- continued their their high level play over the past couple of seasons since he's been gone. But at that point in time, it's just like, how do you not hang on to that guy to keep him in the lineup so that you've got a few extra million dollars to spend elsewhere? You mentioned a raise. What's he making now? Five million, which is what is Granlin's it, isn't. Danny, I'm trying to set myself up here. <laughs> you, you, uh, you told and, me to let. <laughs> and to, to make us all feel better, Capitan got protected, and eventually he was put on waivers. So th- that's a great thing to look at. I, I thought about something, and let, let me know if you guys agree, just because of not that they would have been contenders by any means like that. But like, I feel like the Penguins could have made the playoffs had they just done nothing at the trade deadline, just stayed, stood pat. I don't think so, because Marcus Pedersen going down was just so he people don't realize. Okay, I, I, I'll beat that drum until, yeah, uh, until. The yeah, I was just that was such a huge team, but you're right. As soon as he still gets hurt, yeah, I was just thinking healthy, you don't have Randall. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just think, even though they weren't scoring at all, you're going to get at least one more goal out of Kapanen or McGinn or whoever the hell it is. <laughs> one more than a garbage time Bluger? goal against the Flyers. Yeah, anybody. You know, here's the thing. Like, I equate this to dating, right? If you're going out, like you're meeting somebody and you start seeing these red flags, you know, there are just certain red, like somebody telling you like, ah, I got a couple vehicular manslaughter DUIs. That's a big <laughs> red flag, right? And then you look at the Mikhail Granlin's defensive metrics. When I looked at them, I, I literally said, this is horrific. 98% of the forwards in the league are putting up better numeric value than him defensively. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and watch a couple games and watch the Preds settle in, get my mustard, my mustard tuned in. And he's in the defensive zone and there's guys just in his assignment, just whoop, right by him. And he's just, and I was like, you like, like this is ignoring every, like I, it almost felt to me like they did no research at all. No. All right. All right. I'm jumping in here. I'm jumping in here. 
We can go back to that ridiculous two-year deal the Kapanen just signed last offseason, okay, when the media first got Hextall when training camp started. I asked Hextall because everybody wanted to know why the heck Kapanen got two years and why the heck he's staying at the exact same cap that he previously had. I asked Hextall, I said, was the reason you went two years on Kapanen's deal to kind of give him a bit of a confidence boost heading into the season? Because last year he talked about how his confidence fluctuated, and he's definitely one of those guys who, when his confidence is up, he's really killing it. Hextall's like, no, not at all. It was uh, just, you know, the, the way the salary out arbitration worked out, and we just wanted to go ahead and take care of another of another year on that. And I was like, okay. And then through, I think it was – I want to say his end of season presser last year. And then again, in that presser, I just referred to where he was like, yeah, Cappy's a guy, you know, his first season with us, he had 30 points in 40 games. It's like, okay, well, yes, he did have 30 points in 40 games, but like you, you do like the most, you do like the most surface level analytical evaluation of him, And you're like, okay, this is a dude who's not driving play at all. And was rather opportunistic. Yes. You can, you can get by with a guy whose main value is being opportunistic, but you got to be really careful with that. So all of a sudden, Kapanen's gone after he's not putting up points. Granlin gets acquired, and Hextall's like, well, this is a guy that put up 64 points in 80 games with the Predators last season. It's like, okay, again, the, the very most like surface-level analysis you do of his just pure stats, you look, and he's, he's playing first-line minutes in Nashville, something he was never going to sniff with the Penguins. He was getting top power play minutes with them, something he was never going to sniff with the Penguins. And his two most common line mates – were Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg. He wasn't getting that quality of teammate in Pittsburgh. So you, all of a sudden you look and you're like, okay, this guy was probably just feasting points off of top power play utilization and playing with good line, line mates in extended minutes. Comes to Pittsburgh, he's not producing. I don't know what happened. What kind of analysis did you do before acquiring a guy like this other than having your AGM be like, oh, yeah, go ahead and get this guy because our top targets are off the table for us now. Yeah, and, I, and, and your AGM liked them a couple years ago. Yeah. You know, one of the things ago, that makes the most sense about the Hextall regime, though, now that the 32 thoughts came out from Elliot Friedman. So in 2021, we got the Jeff Carter deal. No one heard about it until it happened. Same thing with Ricardo Kell the next year. Same thing with Granlin this year. And in his 32 thoughts for the Penguins, he put down a story that Hextall in a meeting around the trade deadline have everybody put their phones oh. in the middle of the table like they're in elementary school. That reminds and me. And so no that? one can leak anything. And it, it made so much sense now why the trade deadlines have been the way they are and we haven't heard a thing because everybody's phones have been in a basket in the middle of the room. I also heard, I, I did not verify this, but I did hear rumblings that Hextall was like straight up lying about what was going on to certain members of his front office to see like who was actually leaking information. Hmm. Or he was worried they'd try to stop him. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, that explains, I, I wanna... who, did, who did you ask him about last summer? Whenever he, it was rumored that the Penguins were interested in somebody. I forget the name. Oh, and this was the first day of free agency. So, yeah. first day oh, of free agency, yeah. and they had just signed like Jan Ruda and Xavier Willette, and he was about to speak. And we're like waiting in the media room for him at the uh, Lemieux Complex at Cranberry. He's like, 
he that dude was always like I, I get that a lot of people are late to their media availabilities. Hextall was like notoriously ten to fifteen to twenty minutes late every single time. It was ridiculous. Just had to get that off my chest. Anyway, uh, we're sitting we're sitting in there waiting for him, and Elliot Friedman tweets out that like either said Johan Larson's going to Pittsburgh or like mm-hmm. I'm hearing that Johan Larson's going to Pittsburgh. So I asked Hextall, I said I just asked him, can you confirm the report that Johan Larson's going to be a Pittsburgh Penguin next season? And he like guffawed and he was like what and like looked so befuddled that that somehow got out which clearly like probably was having conversations with him but then he goes no he's not but i can't confirm that josh archibald's gonna be a pittsburgh penguin and kind of like sat back and was like real proud now uh i I think most of us were wrong about archibald i thought he was gonna stink and and he was fine for what the penguins had him for and and was Mm -hmm. decent so that was fine but like the fact that he was like, nope, but I'm just so proud of my Josh Archibald that I just met. <laughs> Did you, so basically, he was upset that you found this out and decided to call him out on it so they didn't do it. Otherwise, Johan Larson would have been a penguin. That's the way I'm uh, taking this. No. He was also, only wait, upset. hold on. I'll say he was about, only upset that Danny asked him, not that Elliot Freeman about tweeted how it. On CBS Sports, Johan Larson is listed as a Pittsburgh penguin left wing. Hmm. Number 22, by the way. I'd like to read you a text message I got on February 9th, 2021 from someone. I asked them if Ron Hextall was open to analytics. Uh, This is the response I got. Um, He's definitely open to analytics. Very secretive about it, though. Very secretive. Almost to the point of paranoia. And I just think, like, when you think about that phone story... Like, isn't that funny Somebody now? Like, in hindsight, when you think about the phone story that they used that word in the text message. Oh, maybe they were onto something. I don't know. It, it it's like, all right, we can we can get really <laughs> analytical, but nobody tell anybody that we are. What it's like, the thing is, when the meeting's over and you <laughs> give that person your their phone back, what the hell do you think they're doing? <laughs> what do you think they're do-, do you yeah. think they're not? Like, do you think... They don't, have the, they don't have sources the, outside of business hours. It's only I was saying, the meetings five. weren't over until the trade was already through the NHL because we didn't find out about like Raquel or Carter until they were already in Pittsburgh. It seemed like, yeah. Um, I want to transition this conversation <laughs> to talk about between the pipes. How is it that as a G, as a player, Ron Hextall was a goalie. As a GM, he can't find a goaltender. How is his evaluation of goalies so bad as a former goaltender himself? Well, I was one of the few people up until recently who actually defended him in that regard because take a look at the money that they spent on Jari and DeSmith over the past couple seasons. Like it, it was not yeah. a lot. They were basically paying the equivalent of like a low end starter for the both of them, mm-hmm. which which was fine if, if they were both playing up to the level everyone knows they're capable of. Um, but and but with so many and healthy, but with so many cap constraints and and areas elsewhere in the lineup that they needed to address, I felt like that was a a worthwhile risk to take heading into the season. And I was one of the people who was like kind of on the fence about Jari even coming back after that disastrous Islander series he had a couple years ago. But with that being said, it made sense to me. Now with the fact, uh, with what Jari said after the regular season finale and said, yeah, I've been banged up basically all year I've been dealing with it every single day and it's been impacting my performance every single day. Learning that and knowing that Hextall didn't do anything about it at the, at the trade deadline, I like have jumped over the fence that I was originally on. And I'm just sitting here like, how do you not address that? I'm going to give you, can I, can I give you a really long answer to this? Yeah. Um, Hold on. Let me make a joke first. I just want to say that, that Tristan, yes, Jari, Tristan Jari, the, when he said that, the first thing I thought of was Big Ben. Talking after, just like, oh, yeah, I've been banged up. 
but that no one really knows game. about it. I don't want I don't want to talk about it, but I just want everybody to know that I've been banged up the entire season. Yeah. Ben loved to do a good flex of a limb on television. There's <laughs> nothing more than he loved to get up and just give that old elbow a wrench. Yeah. Um, Penguins defensive system uh, really puts an emphasis on attacking where the puck is. Right. And it leaves an area of vulnerability, I would say, in the slot. That's where the Penguins defense is most vulnerable. If you are in the far boards, uh, you're going to have your hands full on the far boards. The Penguins are going to flood that area. They're going to put a lot of bodies over there and they're try to break your play up. They're going to overload that side. You can work that puck out and in into the slot. They're going to have two guys zoning up over there that get, you may have an opportunity against. I think the Penguins sucked in the slot this year. I think that uh, they allowed a lot of opportunities from that area. I think if you look at the heat maps on hockey viz in front of the slot, like that, that area, big red dot there, big red dot there. They just, they were allowing a lot of shots. Now let's look at the goalie performance in that bucket, right? Inner slot save percentage. This is from sport logic to Smith 36 out of 44 in qualifying goalies. Jari second to last. So this for me is a two sided coin. The penguins defensive system did not help the goalies out at all. Didn't I think that they were weak? Jeff, I think Jeff Petrie, especially like he he didn't have a bad year overall. I think like that analytically you would look at it and like say like oh Petrie had a good year, but I think in that area in front of his own net he was rough. He was brutal. I mean Brian Dumoulin was horrible in front of his own net this year. Right. They were they, they now despite that defensive deficiency, the goaltending still was below expectation. It still didn't mean I still was below the line, right? But in that specific area, looking at just that inner slot save percentage, they got killed. And I think they got killed because the Penguins were hemorrhaging chances from that area, but they were also just really particularly poor against them. Uh, a lot of goals got scored like that from the Penguins. A lot of goals got scored because their their overload broke down and they uh, in front of the net were there's a lot of times they were just flopping around like fish, man. They were puck watching, going down early, laying prostrate on the ice, stick out, just hoping something banks off them. Um, and there were a lot of guys opening the slot this year. Yeah, I completely agree with Jesse. And I think the other thing is that they were they had like some glaring, like absolutely massive breakdown, seemingly like once a game or whatever. And yeah. Like as much as, and I'm sure I can speak for Jesse on this as well. Like as much as we love and like value like the the public expected goal models and everything like that, I there still is a case to be made that they might be underrating some of those like massive, massive glaring blowups that we're talking about, like from Petrie even or Dumoulin or Carter. So when we're looking and we're seeing that they are having issues right at the front of their crease it's probably an even worse problem because they're likely being underrated due to just whatever the heck happened Dumoulin laying on the ice in the corner or Petrie just completely forgetting the two or three guys standing around him in those areas and like Jesse said they also didn't get the goaltending when they needed the most yeah that's a good call too Danny the the oh the the poop your pants moments uh they don't skew the expected goals like they probably should and uh, unfortunately you know we, we were, and everybody remembers those too. That's the thing. You know, they get talked about in the car on the way home. Um, they dominate sports talk radio, right? That's what people are calling in to discuss. So you could play 59 perfect minutes of hockey. You have that one breakdown that lasts a minute, and especially a puck goes in the back of the net as a result. Nobody cares that you played the other 59 good minutes. So that, that was really a bug that bit the Penguins um, entirely too much. And, um, you know, I know that Danny's a Jared McCann truther. I'm a John Marino truther. Um, I thought that. You know, it was a weird 
it was a weird thing for Hextall to sell high on him because he had played, in my opinion, his best hockey in that playoff series against. I mean, he was phenomenal against the Rangers. And all the things the Penguins wanted him to do, be more active, carry the puck more, shoot more, he did them, all of them. And then they traded him. <laughs> and, I, and I watched a lot of Wilkes-Barre this year. Ty Smith's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll ever be as good as John Marino was when the Penguins traded him. So that's think, a bummer. I, I and I think the last thing I'll say is a lot of these good, these guys had really good net front sentience and were able to like turn and, and turn their head around and like look behind them for a minute and recognize a threat. And, you know, like, there was just simple things that worked really well for Mike Matheson too, um, that in his own zone that I think they missed um, both. For, and even on a breakout perspective, we could get into that too. But I, I think that their presences were just, uh, they really needed them last year in some of these danger areas we're talking about. I just wanted to chime in with going back to Ty Smith. Like I think absolute best case scenario for Ty Smith and the Penguins is what they just got out of P.O. Joseph this yep. season. Yeah, like, 100% correct. 100% like, correct. I don't, like, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah, Joseph had like really strong offensive impacts, but at, uh, at the same time, like he, he gave a lot of it back defensively. Obviously, <laughs> Smith is one of those guys you know he's got the puck skills and and can put up some points, but he worries you in his in the defensive end. Now, I will say, I'm still like slightly intrigued about him for the sole reason that he was literally the only defenseman this season that got good results out of Brian Dumoulin, and I know it was like a very very small stretch. But Ty Smith was literally like they, the Penguins controlled the goals. They controlled the shot attempts. They controlled the expected goals when those two were out on the ice at five on five. And other than like stretches with Latang, mainly the end of the season, Dumoulin did not have those results with anybody else. Now, I don't know that it matters or means anything because Dumoulin's likely gone this offseason. I just found that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're actually, we'll get into pending UFAs uh, in a second. I do want to say, as far as John Marino that goes, and this, I mean, this is, I guess, just like speculation on your parts, unless there is something concrete that you've heard more about. Why, why is it that they moved on when they did? Is it just because, like, Jesse, you mentioned like the offense, you know, it was there, but not necessarily from a point production standpoint. That can vary, though. Like, I can't control yeah. the results as much as the process. Um, but is that the reason why? Is like he never got back to that offensive level of his rookie season? Yeah, I think ultimately, yes. Um, you know, I, I wrote an article that year, the, sh- the year he was traded, um, that, that last year he was here of, and this was, a, I believe, limited to the first half of the season, but opportunities where, you know, Pinching for pucks happens on a percentage chance basis. So you're coached and Daniel, I think not as head in agreement on this go for, if you have 60, 40, 50, 50, 30, 30, 70, whatever it is, you think of it as your percent chance to win that puck. Every team's got a different um, amount of percentage leeway that they'll give a defenseman. And frankly, Todd Reardon's is a lot. I think, you know, I think the evidence from this year would agree with me on that. If you look at how many times the Penguins pinched and got beat, uh, I'm still compiling the video on that. I don't know if my Mac has enough hard drive space to store this whole video. Um, (laughs) There were times where Marino wouldn't do it, you know, and then there would be this loose puck and you'd, you'd see you'd as a hockey fan with their own, your own internal clock that you have as a fan, you'd go like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh," and you'd never do it. And I think Reardon, they wanted more of that. They wanted, if he was going to play in the system, you know, I think that jump was something they were looking for. Um, his shot rates were always really low here after his rookie season. Um, but, you know, I think, again, it, I, I'm, I'm being hypocritical here because I always say don't make decisions off of seven game sample sizes in the playoffs. 
John Marino played really well in those seven games and had a bit of an offensive coming out party. Um, I would have bet on it continuing and kept him if only if not if nothing else for the value of his contract and how little he was making for the impact he provided. But I just I think they thought that Ty Smith could give them what they were looking for offensively in John Marino. And maybe even a little bit more because of his supposed ceiling in that in that realm. Um, I just don't think that they understood how much lacking the rest of his game was and how much of a project, frankly, he was going to be for them. Yeah, I at the end of last season, end of the offseason, I kind of heard some like talking that he frustrated the coaching staff a little bit, like kind of to Jesse's point about the like not pinching at certain times. Like Marino is a, an incredibly smart guy. And I heard from like numerous accounts that said like he was almost too smart for his own good. And like he would overthink things at time and like not play off his instincts and not just kind of let it naturally come to him. And the thing that drove me most crazy about Marino is like you'd see him stymie a rush going into his own end. He'd like take the puck off the carrier stick all on his own and start the counter attack the other way skate the puck across both blue lines on his own and then he'd end up facing the corner like behind the the opposition's net right and then you're like well you just completely wasted that so i i think he really kind of struggled to figure out how to kind of just put it all together like he obviously had the puck skills he obviously had the skating ability and he obviously had the defensive conscience but once it got to actually making plays in the offensive zone it just didn't really mesh i think with what the penguins were trying to do versus what he wanted to do Okay. Well, <clears throat> we saw how it's turned out to this point, the reconstruction of the defense that took place last season, because it wasn't just him. You mentioned, you know, Matheson shipped out as well. We kept thinking like, okay, they're going to reconstruct some of the defense, but like some bodies are going to have to go out. Yet at the beginning of the season, they still had like 10, 10 NHL defensemen. So to your point, you know, going out and getting Ty Smith as part of that John Marino deal, barely saw Ty Smith. And that was even before the injury that he had took place. So I don't know. It was a very odd off season, but you could say that about basically Ron Hextall's entire tenure here. Um, Tyler, you had some other stuff here. Where do you want to pivot to next? I know we want to talk well, about the well. Family. The thing that I wanted to just go back to because this part of the conversation started off talking about the goaltending situation. So, yeah. I mean, Smitty and I had talked about it for the past several months, majority of the season. the The Penguins are in quite the pickle when it comes to what they can do with their goaltenders because in in their franchise they don't really have anybody that's on the heels of the nhl that's ready to come in and be a starter um i mean the only one that is potential starter i would think would be joel blomquist but he's not going to be at the nhl anytime soon so you look to what they have right now jari he's a ufa casey to smith he is the one year left you think he's probably back but what do the penguins do in this situation i mean because it's either you extend jari or you look to try to trade trade for a goalie um, or sign for a what seems to be a terrible goalie free agent market overall. So in this hard situation, what do you think the Penguins do and how do they handle it? Because I don't think that even with a new regime, there's any excuse for new own, or the ownership and for the management to come back with the same tandem and sell that to the fans. Yeah, I – the one thing I will say is that Jari like had just such a bizarre season that he's probably put himself in a spot where like the Penguins might at least want to consider like oh, if we could get you back for like another three million for another season. Now, granted, I I wouldn't run it back with him, but they might end up in a spot where they just simply have to. 
but Taylor Haas and I both are of the opinion that they should try and do everything they can, empty the cupboard when it comes to draft picks and try and acquire UC Soros from Nashville. And if they don't do that, I think that they should try and acquire Jeremy Swayman's restricted free agent rights from Boston. Those those would be my two options. Smitty, is that are you all upset? Because that's <clears> what that no, those are the two names that I brought up uh, on our show last week. Um, I think that was it. weren't those the only two that we said like offer sheet Jeremy Swayman. Well, the, we, so I'll let me jump in here because they they can't offer sweets offer sheet Swayman. The problem is that they do not have they the don't draft have picks now. right. They don't have the picks oh. for offer sheeting him. So what they'd have to do is trade for his rights to do so because otherwise they're not they're not going to be able to offer sheet. Yeah. Okay. Either way, it was the same names that we brought up. But I will say, Saras was because of Taylor. So, Yeah. This isn't an option for a starter. I wouldn't do this for a starting goalie, but I'd try to find a way to get Aiden Hill. Um, he's a sneaky name out there that um, is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Um, only played like 30 games this 27, maybe, games this year. Um, but is only 26 years old. Put up decent numbers. I think, you know, even strength war was like in the 68th, 69th per- nice percentile um, for goalies this year. So, again, that's not the kind of thing that like, um, whoa, Danny, what? Like what? really old age. <laughs> I don't know why Reed is my profile picture. My takes, my takes <laughs> aged Danny so hard. Um, so, anyway, that's it. That's it. I, <laughs> Oh the Hextall, the Hextall tenure. You said, Danny, he said Aiden Hill, not over the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? You guys got to chill on Tom Reed. <laughs> I love if you're Tom not Reed. watching the YouTube version, you're missing out. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're just listening to this, you have no clue what in the world just happened. Um, no, some interesting names. There wasn't, yeah, we went through like the entire UFA goalie market uh, on last week's show and came away thinking, yeah, this kind is kind of yeah. I mean, you look and it's like maybe Freddie Anderson, but he's basically like Jari, like kind of up and down, has yeah. some like moderate injury concerns, and he's he's older than Jari is. So I don't, it's like if you're going to go after him, you might as well just bring Jari back because you'll probably get him back cheaper. But it's it's probably easier to sell to the fan base, at least changing the name of the player. Yeah, I guess that much is true. <laughs> Variety, I mean, variety I mean, I'm not saying that that's going to play into the decision making here, but I, I honestly think it's like you keep running it back with the same goaltending duo, and and I think that's why even like the Smith's not making a ton of money for a backup goaltender, like with what you, what he gives you. But I think so many people were just frustrated with the fact it's going to be the exact same goaltending duo going into the season. This is going into last season, obviously not this year, because we don't know what's going to happen. And how and we don't even have a front office in place right now. Like we're talking about free agency. There's not even a front office in place right now. And do you think I'm, I'm all over the place right now? I'm just like t- having a conversation with myself and then having it with you guys. Do you think that this is something that I mean, the season's still going on? Like, it's hard to accept because the Penguins aren't in the playoffs, but there is still a season going on right now. Do you think that this is going to be a slow moving approach here for FSG or do you expect it to kind of like really ramp up and be fast paced? I think it's going to be slow moving. Yeah, I, I'm not. A, I don't know that I'd say like I expect this to drag into like we're getting close to like the, the draft, draft or something, or, yeah. or something like that. But I don't think we're really going to have anything substantial here for I'd say probably at least several weeks, if not longer. 
like oh, so it's, it's not like okay toronto gets eliminated round one by tampa all right kyle dubas is hired right. like the next day yeah this isn't a kevin stalling situation they don't have like, <laughs> they don't have somebody tucked away that did they've you, already you, you can't come on around the 412 and drop kevin stalling's name i did it i did it i did it <laughs> We gotta ward that kind of spirits off, you know. We have to, we have to keep sure that make sure we're keeping those. At Jacob, bay. his son, was fine with the Pirates. Yeah, we're, we're, we're Jacob Stallings truther on this show, but Kevin, I mean, send him to the sun for all I care. Yeah, I'm really enjoying him. how many times the word truther is being said <laughs> in this episode. All right. Um, well, we don't want to keep you too long, but there's, I mean, there's still some more the other UFAs. Yeah, the there's more UFAs on this team. Who are you bringing back, if any? And then who who are you sending off to the sun with Kevin Stone? Yeah, like let, let's let's hey. categorize this like Tyler and I did last week, but present it to you guys because it's like there's guys that we I don't know if there's guys there's guy that we would like to have back. <laughs> there's guy that we would like. There's back. guys that we definitely don't want back, and then there's kind of like eh, you can deal with either or either way it goes. So like, where do you guys stand with everyone that's UFA? I want Jesse to talk first about whether he wants to bring Zucker back or not. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. I think that, so, yes. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. I think that, I I think that he's always been a good, the kind of guy that you, I don't, I want to be careful because this <clears throat> word doesn't necessarily mean what some people might think. When you use the word play driver, but he's the kind of guy for me that is always going to give you a bump in shots, right? And attempts maybe even a little bit of expected goal quality too. And I think last year's off first time happens when he shoots like close to normal and has a healthy season, um, you know, fits into a line, gets into a groove, is playing with confidence. Um, you know, there's so much crap he's had to deal with in the first half of his time here. I'm not going out and giving him a six-year deal. If he's looking for a contract that's going to take him into retirement, I think he can look for that elsewhere. But if I think if he wants to juice out a couple good more years here and continue to play with Evgeny Malkin um, and be fairly compensated for that financially, I think there's a place for that for sure. So I'm not opposed to bringing Zucker back, but like I have some pretty strict parameters on which I would bring him back because I think a lot of people lost sight of the fact, and I was not one of these people at the time, but there were like, couple weeks before the season started, people were talking about, like, I can't believe we didn't move on from Zucker and his cap hits so that we could use that money elsewhere to try and bolster the lineup because he he was not available at times. And at times when he was healthy, he wasn't able to put the puck in the back of the net. And, you know, I know injuries were dealing were, – were a part of that. But then you look, this was – you know, a season where he was coming off, he said, I felt like I played a little bit better than my production. So he had something to prove. It was obviously a contract year. And you know just how much it meant playing with the Penguins, how much he loves playing with Malkin and, and being around Crosby and Latang and those guys. So I really view the season that he just had as like a best case scenario for him. Like I don't see him like topping the season he just had going forward. And I probably don't even see him repeating that. I think he could come close to it, but I think that needs to be kept in mind when it comes to any contract moving forward with him, that you're probably not going to get as good of a performance out of him as you just got. And you also have to be aware that he might not be available. And, and Taylor uh, was kind of pushing back on me on this and was like, yeah, well, it was like the same injury. It's not like he's an injury prone guy. But you look like 
as you get hurt throughout your career, it doesn't matter if it's the same injury or not. You just become more injury prone, especially as you get older. And there were two off seasons ago, we were talking about after Zucker kind of disappointed a little bit. It was like, he's kind of at the age where, you know, good, but not great wingers kind of start to see a dip in their production and their performance and their impact. So I think that's, uh, it's at least a fair argument to bring up that like you shouldn't just blindly bring him back yes I think his character and his intangibles are invaluable to this team and I don't know how they'd replace them otherwise but I don't view him as a guy like they have to bring him back at all costs yeah well, I mean, he is exactly like you said that I was in last week talking about it with Tyler like he's when you look at the UFAs I like because it's not like a, a necessarily very deep pool for the Penguins like he probably is at the top of that but yeah, yeah, he's well, not somebody at his age. He had him like 40th on his list, so that, that shows you how much the national guys are paying attention. Yeah, really? It, it was like 30th or 40th. It was hmm. something ridiculous. Interesting. Well, if it wasn't uh, obvious, he is the guy we were talking about that we, we, we would yeah, want to right. bring back. Um, yeah, it, but even in that case, I, I'm with Ryan Danny, either. though, where it's not just like, well, yeah, he, blindly. Here's blank what I'm, th- I'm thinking, though, at least for contract, I'm thinking you, you offer him no more than three years. Amen. There you go. A, a, after last season, what, what you had with all the, the long contracts with Rust, and I mean, Gino and Latangs are what they are. Like everybody knew that they were going to get those contracts. I don't care about the term of those. But with the Rust and Raquel term, I, I'm not comfortable, especially for Zucker being 31, giving him any longer than three years. Honestly, I'd probably prefer two. I don't know that he's a player that's going to take that because on the season that he just had, he's probably going to want to cash out. But well, what about the dollars? That's that's where I'm wondering too. I, because... I would rather give him a raise in the dollars than the years. Danny's had a sh- no, 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 no. I don't want to get. I don't want to. Well, give here's him the a problem. Raise. But if, if he said not, I'll come back for two years at six million dollars, I'd probably entertain it. No, no. If but, if that's if that's the case, and you're willing to give Zucker six million, you should go into the season with that cap space available and use it at, in a trade at some point throughout the year. Like yeah, I, well, I, I think any, I think the problem with it being lower is you know, he's going to look at Granlin making five. Well, you're going to buy Granlin. Out. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. Oh, I don't see Are, any way they don't. That's it. I mean, it'd be, what is I think the, the? I think any, I think regardless of who the general manager is, I think it's the first thing they do when they walk in the door. It makes too much. It okay. makes too much well, sense, like to yeah. do it. The, the Tyler the actually had that in the notes, but I'm just cross. You know what right sucks here. though, guys? Like this is the real bummer. Is that as I think people in Pittsburgh for a really long time have been saying that cap's gonna go up, pa- like tantalizingly looking at the cap going up, and then in the moment yeah. it does, they have to waste the money on on Mikhail Granlin's buyout, uh, and nope. it just completely washes yeah. extra that they just got. So, piece of uh, financial management. So splendid, Danny. What what number would you be willing to give him? Uh, I I previously have said like four point five. That might have been a little too harsh. Like I could get up to like four point. Honestly, if we're getting him under five, I I could probably live with that. But I don't really. I wouldn't feel comfortable giving him the same cap hit he's at now, or or even really five two five or or five. If if you can get him in around four seven five, I think that would probably be ideal. But again, like you said, if you're giving him six mil per season, like yes, you can't go out on the in the free agent market and replace him for that dollar figure. But if you go into the season with that cap space available, every year we see guys who 
don't have high cap hits that are impact players get moved throughout before the trade deadline. So that will be an option at some point if they're willing to wait. The Penguins can't do anything that's going to compromise their ability to go out and sign Trey Terry. They have to protect that. <laughs> can't give Zay Joker right. that extra money because it's got to go to Troy Terry fund. Well, there you go. You know what? Actually, somebody, we have to get to our guy, Thomas, because uh, we put out that you guys were coming on. He's like, can you ask them this? What was it exactly? It might have just been like some UFAs that you were interested in for the Penguins. Uh yeah, pending free any any position like wide yeah. open, like mm-hmm. yeah. Troy Terry, um, <laughs> I said that one already. Um, that's probably at the top of my list. Pierre Engvall, I'd look at for bottom six. I think depending yeah. on um, how much money he's looking for, um, you know, he's out there. That's a good name. I mentioned Aiden Hill. Um, you know, from a goaltending perspective, I'm interested to see what the market um, is. Uh, I know the Lightning traded nine thousand draft picks for him. Uh, but Tanner Janelle is going to be an un, unrestricted free agent too. I don't, I don't, he's hurt. Right. So like, what, what does that look like? Um, does he stay in Tampa? How much money does he look for? What kind of term? Um, maybe that's out of the, if they gave up all those picks. There's yeah, no way that that sunk cost would be insane. Yeah. Um, but you know, they are in a bit of a pickle up there. So down there. And even if they don't bring him back, I feel like he's the kind of guy that some GM out there would just like ridiculously yeah. overpay just to say they had him. Yeah. Whereas Troy Terry Seven years. may not have that problem. <laughs> I'm not, you guys are going to hear me talk about that. That's actually – get well, ready. Yeah, it's the summer of Troy Terry. Thank you for giving us our title, the Troy Terry episode. <laughs> People would be well, very confused thinking this is not a Pittsburgh podcast, but – all right, well, to close up, what about the rest of the Penguins' free agents? I mean, there's a few RFAs, few UFAs, and we know that some are definitely not going to be back, but who are some of the ones that they might entertain the idea? Um, I would be 100,000% bringing back Ryan Paling, Drew O'Connor, uh, and Alex Nylander, like 1,000%. I'm not um, – Danny and I differ on the Nylander part. I'm not as I, – I think you could just – you can find that anywhere, I think. And I'm not sold on him having like now, granted, like I'm what I am sold on is the penguins having cheap options in the bottom six. That's like almost non-negotiable, right? They cannot yeah. afford anything other than that. So in that sense, maybe, but you know, you I think you could get a player like that. I think Drew O'Connor, <laughs> and this is not by a large margin by any stretch of the imagination, I just get the sense that there's like a more refinement, like it's a little bit more refinement to him. Um, you know, after, after that initial AHL boost wore off, um, you know, I, I think he was still good. So um, yeah, um, I, I don't differ from Danny's list really at all. I mean, I think Ryan Paling, I think it's interesting to note that he did clock the fastest speed this year, which kind of blew my mind. <laughs> Like, yep. how did that happen? But, um, you know, uh, otherwise, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, married to any other names. I think yeah. the thing with Nylander for me is I just don't want him, you know, playing so well and then blocking Troy Terry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> amen. I mean, you're on the right path here. What about Dmitry Kulikov? No, no. Uh, well, my, my thing with it is, is like you, you have Pedersen, you have Joseph and you, you know, hypothetically. Well, yeah. So you look and it's like, 
you kind of need a, a better Dumoulin to fill that opening on on the left side of the defense, right? So you're either going to have Pedersen playing with Latang, which I would re-explore going into next season because they were dominant together before Pedersen got yeah, hurt agreed. here at the end of the season. But they could also look to go back to Pedersen-Petrie, which really fell off in the second half. But in the first half, they were one of the best pairings around the league at 5-on-5. Five five. So then you look further down the lineup, they've still got Ruda locked up for another two seasons. So he's probably going to be on the right side of your third pair. And then you've got a guy like Joseph. So if you bring back Kulikov, you're either going to be playing him up with Latang, which I certainly wouldn't be doing, or you've got to find a spot for him down with Ruda, which just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because that's basically two big lumbering guys you've got just standing around being beefy in the defensive zone. Yeah. I do think that there is enough of that like polish on Ruda's name that, that, that a good savvy GM is going to have an easy time moving him. We'll see how that goes. I mean, you're right, Danny. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, and, and I'm not basing any decisions on hypotheticals. That would be insane. But I do think, just as a general comment, just as a general comment, that the name recognition and all that that sort of like uh, pomp and circumstance that comes with having won a championship attached to the hip of a really good defenseman yeah. uh, fooled the Penguins. So you know, never know if I be able to fool somebody else with it as well. Look how nice uh, this 1997 <laughs> Lumina looks. If, if we mileage. have. If we have the time, boys, I'm curious to hear more of Jesse's thoughts on Alex Nylander because I have some thoughts oh, on yeah. Alex Nylander. For sure, I don't really have any more. I mean, also I just... breaking the fourth wall that we are there is a hockey game or hockey games going on as we are recording. The Hurricanes just won an overtime four three. Oh, so, they won. Yeah, who scored the winner? Yeah, I think Brent Burns. Sick. What what a perfect fit for them. Like I, I kind of questioned that that trade at first and then like watching him in that system and it was just like wow, what a what a match made in heaven. Uh yeah, yeah it's this yeah, he's disgusting. Sorry, um, I was just trying to figure out the... my my thing with Nylander, like so many of the concerns about his game heading into the season were his defensive work, his off puck play. And like the pace he plays at, not necessarily like his speed, but his processing, how quickly he moves the puck off his stick, those kinds of things. Um, I, I've got uh, a drive to the net coming out on this tomorrow, so not to spoil it too much. But like I did uh, a deep review of his off puck play specifically. Like I, I see the the skills that he had. He was a former eighth overall pick. Like you know, he's got the puck skills and. He had, what, like two points in nine games. I think those will come around over time if he's given a more consistent look. But I was looking at a lot of the things he was doing on the forecheck. Um, he was really like kind of a forechecking menace at times. I found this one clip against the Canadians where he individually broke up two. This was on the same shift. He broke up two exit attempts uh, for the Canadians. And then after they had doubled back behind their own end, he then prevented an, a third clean exit there. And then I started noticing, I was like, wow, like he, he kind of makes a lot of these like good little reads on the four checks. So then I started noticing more and more of those, but I also didn't really see a lot of the issues in the defensive zone. Like I thought he was, doesn't necessarily have like the most active stick in the world or anything, but I thought his tracking was fine. I thought his coverage was fine. He's got a decent first step to win uh, like loose puck battles. And he's also really good at making those like one touch slip plays that, where he's in an like an inopportune spot, and he's able to like put the puck off the wall and find a guy in stride. And knowing that he is so unproven still at this age, or at this stage of his career, and also knowing that at this age he's probably not going to get a lot better than what he is at this point in time, 
I think that if you can get him like on a, a sub million dollar cap hit, like bring him back and let him be your third line right wing. If he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. He's not going to hurt you. Yeah, no disagreement. I think a lot of what you just said is descriptive of a lot of like fourth line, like not fourth line. Well, yeah, fourth line, like quad A quality AHL guys. Um, and I think after the juice wore off on Alex Nylander, he looked a lot worse. Not worse, like he was a bad player. And I think you're 100% correct. I think the defensive zone, that's nonsense. I don't think he has any deficiency in the defensive zone. He's present. That's 75% of the problem of the issue for most players right there. Is they're not even they're not even there. Um, so yeah, I, I just I'm not. I'm not going to be emotional one way or another about it. I think that, you know, there's, there's any number of guys that they could go out and fill that kind of role for them in that same kind of price range. That's it. I think it's, it's a dollar store kind of player for me. You know, there, there's a lot of those types out there. I will tell you a little birdie told me this week, uh, a fairly reliable source that there's a three-year deal on the table out of the SHL for Philip Hollander. So I'm interested to see what decision he makes. And I hope it's to stay in North America for the Penguins. Uh, I'm under the impression that he, uh, Ain't gonna be yeah. back. Yeah, I think it's Timra, Danny. I think his uh, his old team has offered him a three year contract, a pretty lucrative one at that, to come back and play there. Yeah, Taylor Taylor was the one that kind of gave me some rumblings that uh, that something might be going on there. I, I'd have to like confirm with her, but that sounds right. That's does the organization just not <clears throat> like him? Um, I don't know that it's that. I think they're. One, I think there's just a lot of moving factors. Like we we saw this a year ago with Casper Bjorkwist when he was maybe looking like a guy who might come up and, and play in like a fourth line role for the Penguins this season. And then he went back to Europe, right? Um, I think there's just way too many like personal factors here that none of us could ever really know about what's going on in these guys' personal lives. So um, I, I don't know that I, I would really speak on that one way or the other. Yeah, I think too, I could speak from a hockey perspective. I think that like the ceiling is definitely lower. Um, than it was. And I, and I think from his perspective, he's got to think about where he can make the most money. Right. Um, and is that, you know, teetering between a fourth line in the NHL and in the AHL, or is it getting like banked to go home and play in your home country? Um, you know, the injuries, you know, you have to say that they, they, they did to have some effect on him, you know um, I don't know what, you know, that effect was versus just him not, playing out the way that a lot of people thought. But I think at the end of the day, you know, Danny's spot on. There's factors that we'll never, we'll never know about in this. Um, but I think from a hockey perspective, I think we can unequivocally say the ceiling probably dropped a little bit. Well, a lot of it probably. Right. All right. Uh, Tyler, you got anything else? Last thing. Who there do you is. guys have winning the cup? <sighs> I've been really Ow. agonizing over this. To be quite honest with you, well, go ahead. I don't. I still don't know that I have an answer. Um, or you can just give me a final if you if that's no. Easier. I mean, yeah, I I love Seattle. I'm real. Like I know that's crazy, but I put like there. I took them plus seven thousand to win the cup. I think in January. Um, and I think you saw last night. Like I'm a fan of teams that that I'm not saying that. that here's what I'm not. Instead of giving you a team, I think. I think the New York Rangers might win it. I think they have the goaltending. Um, they're, right, they're a really good. They're a really good finishing team that constantly defies their expected goal output. So stupid. I hate it. I can't stand watching it. I don't understand it at all. Um, but uh, I like watching Seattle the most so far. They run like a full court press in hockey. Last night they're defending a lead with one a one goal lead, um, and they just beat Colorado down. You know, and it wasn't like I'm going to sit back and protect this lead and go into this defensive shell. 
it was like, you know, we need to go 10, 15, 20 miles an hour now that we have this lead and four check even harder. And I just like team, I like watching teams that sell like that. So I got a funny feeling about the Rangers, man. I don't like their goaltending in, a, in the way that it's good. And I don't like their finishing in the way that it's good. And that makes me nervous. I hear what you're saying about the Rangers. I actually, though, just thought about something. <laughs> uh, so good. That, that was every bit as good of a reaction as I thought I was going to say. No, I, oh, I unfortunately, oh, I hear you. I hear you. I'm not saying Edmonton. I'm not. You're not doing it to me again nope. this year. Nope. I'm not, <laughs> not, not again this year. Not again. Nope. Not after that game you know, one. I've seen enough. You know how many like old head NHL fans would be so pissed if Seattle won the Stanley Cup? Because they didn't go on the grind of being a uh, early f- new franchise and didn't have to suck for game a, winning a goal, and a half. game winning goal with the Jared McCann series clincher, Jared McCann. <laughs> I can imagine. We'll call well, it My pissed. favorite thing today was when they said, "What'd you learn about Grubauer?" I hit nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love the playoffs, man. It's great. It's nice to just be able to drink. Didn't mention. I mean, no, we didn't mention Boston at all. I mean, the team that just had a ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, they're they're really good. We're going to lose this game behind the woodshed right now. Yeah. Um, So, it's just how often does the best like does it you know a team as good as like it's just so hard to win the Stanley Cup, right? That's that's what I'm trying to get at. It's really hard to win the Stanley Cup. I think the best team doesn't always win. Um, Rarely does the best team win. Sometimes Uh, Boston's probably the best team. They have um, a little bit of a different makeup without Patrice Bergeron, without a healthy Bergeron. Uh, that gives them a little bit of a different feel. So, I don't know. We'll see. Florida's yeah. a tough matchup for them, though. Game one tonight, it's, they're sticking around. I mean, Kachuk has the ability to just keep them in any game, really. Like, I, yeah. two, two, two years ago, I did not see him being the player he is now. Like, it, it is crazy the way he can take over games, especially playing on the wing. Danny, did he lead the NHL in war this year over Connor McDavid? I believe he did. Um, if he, he if he didn't, it was close. I know he led the NHL in like several models, just from like a pure play driving standpoint, just from how many freaking chances he creates and sets up around the net and slot area. Yeah, it's crazy. Freezing cold takes. I didn't like that trade for them. Here we are. Mm. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. But would you have liked the Jake Gensel trade for him? I mean, what do I get? I get the benefit of hindsight. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you get the benefit of hindsight. Would you still? Would you have made that trade knowing it now? One for one. That's what everybody was proposing. Yeah. All right, sorry, Jake. <laughs> Love you, but. And it's funny because when that was going around, like I, I even said so, and I think a lot of us did. Like, no, we wouldn't. I wouldn't have done it at the time. No, nope. no, no. I mean, Kachuk, no. Kachuk just hadn't shown this yet, and that. Like maybe if you we had all been paying more attention to him, we might have seen the signs that it was coming. But like from a statistical profile and what I knew about him as a player, like there there was no reason to make that trade at that time. Right. Do you think the, Do you think the possibility of a quote unquote hockey trade with Jake Gensel is still looming at all? I just think that's so stupid. You know, you have to replace his production if you trade him. And this is a guy who was like at the ninety eighth percentile of offensive metrics last year. It's insane. And he's not great defensively. I get that. Like, I don't know, man. The narrative that 
there's that small players don't have long careers is wild to me because like Pat Verbeek, Martin St. Louis, like we could go down the list. Like there are like a ton of small players that have like really long and lucrative careers in the national hockey league. Like Maurice Richard's I mean, one, <laughs> like you may have heard of him. I don't know. I just even like, that's right so now, silly. like uh, he's not a star or anything, but you look at Matt Zuccarello, like he's pretty late into his career right now. And he's still a really solid player. Yeah, hundred percent. I just don't think the size has anything to do with it. You know, I think anybody that would have went into the boards like Jake Denzel did that playoff run would have broke his collarbone too. Um, there's nothing you're going to do about that. You know, it's just what it is. So I'm not trading Jake Denzel because the problem with that is you have to go. Somebody asked me today if I would do it for John Gibson. And I was like, you got to <laughs> stop doing this. What? He's from right. And on that note, yeah. you can end the show there. <laughs> as, uh, as Jesse said, <laughs> regarding if he wanted Zucker back. Yes. <laughs> In a long drawn out way, uh, guys, can't thank you enough for joining us. If you want to uh, plug your socials, any work you guys got coming out, I'm sure there's gonna be a ton of stuff mm-hmm. as we go through the off season here. So, take the floor. You first, Daniel. Uh, yeah, you can follow all my work at dkpittsburghsports.com. If you're a Twitter person, follow PGH. Tweet out all my work there. Uh, charts. <laughs> <laughs> We got, we got a funny guy over here. Uh, anyway, follow, follow me on Twitter. I tweet charts, graphs, stats, video breakdowns, all my articles, all that good stuff. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter machine at jmarshfof. I write about the Penguins for The Athletic and about the NHL for McKean's. And I appear sometimes on the PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. That's it. Fantastic stuff. And look forward to everything that's coming out. All right, boys. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, hopefully we get you back on here at some point throughout the offseason. So we'll have to do it again. Anytime. Thanks, guys. All right. Later, boys. See ya. That was so funny when you muted his mic. I don't even think people will realize. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't yeah. think enough people will realize what it was just so quick happened. Too. I'm not even sure. It was like, so he... quick. He was just saying his Twitter handle, and you muted it out. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It was yeah. so funny. Uh, I mean that that I just I had to give you credit going into our next segments before we do that, just because that was so funny. And I don't think enough people, especially if you're listening to it, I don't think you're going to notice. But like, (laughs) if you watch, you can actually see the mute button. I I, listen. There's certain episodes I feel like of this show that need to be watched instead of listened to, and I feel like this is going to be one of them. I feel that way probably anytime that we have a guest, but like this one specifically, I would I would put in that category. Yeah, Um, for sure. We're already running pretty high on time here, so let's just jump back into things. Shout out to those guys for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Follow both of them Um, again. You know, I love having each of them on individually, but I think it was even better bring them both on at the same time. So I think we made the right call. Even Hunter Hodes out of this. Uh, We'll get him on at some point (laughs) in the future. (laughs) Uh, No, but seriously, he's another, you know, he's another great mind and great follow on Twitter. One of the best. I did. I did. I don't even know if you saw. I did tell Hunter we'll bring him on around free agency, like in July. Oh, okay. All right. So. That should work. We have that covered. <laughs> um, the Pirates have played 19 games, and if you would have told me they would have 12 wins within those 19 games, I would have called you crazy. Last year, they didn't get their 12th win until May 9th. So 
playing some really good baseball. I'm not going to say it's gotten to the point where like going into a game, I expect them to win or anything like that. But with the way that Andrew McCutcheon is playing right now, I feel like that's the biggest storyline surrounding the team. The play that you're getting from Connor Joe right now, Santana has been a great addition. Um, and then Rodolfo Castro over the last like month of the seat, basically since O'Neill's been down. So two and a half weeks or so Rodolfo has been an everyday basically player. He's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, but just 12 and seven start for the pirates and they've gotten nine straight quality starts from their, from their pitchers throughout this as well, which I feel like again is something we couldn't have forecasted. Yeah. I mean, I feel like just a week ago we were complaining about the pitching and the starting pitching in, in particular, um, with a couple of the guys in the rotation, I felt like that was the thing that was really holding the team back at that point was the offense was having to keep up in some of the games whenever these guys would start. But, you know, whenever you get good outings from Rich Hill and Vince Velasquez, um, and then you continue to get the good outings like a, from Oviedo and yeah. Keller, I, I think it makes for a, a great rotation. And that's part of the reason that this team is winning, not only because they have the bats, but you're getting these quality starts to not only like keep you in a game, but puts you in an easier position to win the game because you have that offense. And I mean, we see it. We, granted, they were playing in Colorado, so the bats kind of open up a little more than they do in all the other ballparks. Runs. But they were blowing it up offensively in Colorado. They swept the Rockies. Um, such a fun series to watch. But when you have the starting pitching to make the games not even, even in question, really, um, no, granted this, this one that was today, it was nine, nothing after two innings. So I don't think that was ever in question either, but you know what I mean? Like whenever a, a pitcher is struggling, including like the opening day start that I talked about last week or not opening day, home opener day or home opener, hope on home opener. Holy cow. I just had a we'll get stroke. There. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> but the home opener start for rich Hill. The, the Pirates at one point were losing five to one. We haven't really had that scenario at that point where the Pirates are going to have to dig out of a big hole to get these wins. Um, it, it's been quality starts and it's been quality, even though you have lost a guy like O'Neill Cruz, the, the, the offense doesn't really have to have been skip, skipping a beat. And you mentioned some of the guys that have been producing. That's something that we mentioned and we talked about whenever O'Neill Cruz got hurt. You're not going to be able to just rely on like Kutch and Brian Reynolds to carry this offense because for a few few stretch of games, it seemed like Kutch, Reynolds, and Crew was once you got to the top of that order, then off it, all the offense came out. But then towards the bottom of the order, it wasn't really happening. You've seen it throughout the lineup, and I think that's probably the most important thing that they've gotten is some consistency with the bats and, and, and the defense too, but also – most importantly, I feel like the bats, because that's the big thing that you're missing with O'Neill Cruz. And they've been able to get that from multiple players, which I think is just the key to success for the Pirates. And that's what they need to continue to do forward is have have some guys throughout the lineup be able to contribute like that. It sucks that G1 Bay um, was out. He's going to miss, what, eight weeks? No, I, I, I mean G-Man Choi. Or, or G-Man Choi. G-Man Choi. He's going to miss eight weeks, not G1 Bay. Sorry. Um, but... You know, I, I feel like that, that that that's able to be replaced. I mean, he wasn't playing it too much, but like the fact that we're able to really not skip a beat is the thing that I think is the testament to this team, like how 
the depth is so much different than last year, and this team is so much different than last year. A couple of these injuries a year ago, that would have killed the team, and they would yeah. have been in, in sucking water already. Now, I mean, you're on the backs of a sweep going into your next series, and you're, you're 12 and Two 7. Two sweeps already this year. Two sweeps already. And did they even have one last year? I don't think nope. they had one. Yeah, we, we, we had mentioned that. So the fact that they're in the situation that they are, I just think it's really impressive. And the fact that just a year ago, we're looking at a 100-loss team to now we're looking at, I mean, granted, like we said, we're only, what is that, 19 games in, 12 and yeah. 7. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we are 12 and 7, is, is I just feel like it's so impressive, the turnaround that we've gotten. Yeah, I, I feel like it's definitely, you can just tell it's a different team. To your point, I think like the the feel around the team is so much more different. And I think it's because you added guys like McCutcheon and Santana, Rich Hill, like Vince Velasquez, even like just veterans that have come from other places and have been there and done that and have brought that, like they've created a culture here and made guys believe in themselves. Like McCutcheon talked about this, like guys check their egos at the door. They just believe in one another, go out there and play baseball. And so far so good for the season. And it's, Again, it has to be a huge supporting cast because you're going to have times where Reynolds right now is not swinging a very good bat over the last week or so. But you have the guys that we mentioned, and one guy you mentioned key to success, and then it occurred to me, T. Brian Hayes is swinging a really good bat over the last you know couple series. I think that the process really wasn't in question. I think he's had some really bad luck to start this year. But all of a sudden, he's hitting the ball really hard. And he's getting some elevation on it. He's starting to rack up some extra base hits. The process is starting to turn into results, which is all you can really ask. You can control the process. You can't control the results all the time, but you're finally starting to see those results for him, which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, up and down the lineup right now, Jason DeLay, a catcher, you know, he was productive again this time out. To me, I understand what Hedges brings from a defensive perspective, and the pitchers really covet that. I would have it closer to a 50 50 split between the way those two guys are playing. Uh, as opposed to delay only playing, you know, twice a week or whatever it has been right now. Um, because he's just, he's the better option with a bat. He is giving you something right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a very impressive start to the season for the pirates. I'm just going to keep, you know, riding it out because I don't know that this is going to last the entire season. Um, I just, I don't know that they are, are there yet. But these are the signs, again, that make me think that like this year could be that 2011, 2012 type year where it's you start to see what we're going to see in the future years. It's just they're not quite there right now. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of what could really push them over the edge is what kind of production you get out of some of the guys that we're, we're waiting on at the big league level, like an Andy Rodriguez. Um a Quinn Priester, like who are these guys going to be at the MLB level right away? And I I think that could elevate them to a a potential like 2012 to 13 transition. Or, I mean, if these guys bust, we could be kind of in the same boat where we are right now. Um, But before we stop talking about the Pirates, I mean, we've talked about him every single show, but how impressive is, is it still that Andrew McCutcheon is the I mean, MVP I was gonna, of the Pirates I was gonna, so far? I was going to bring him up once again just because I, I put out a tweet about this, and it's like regardless of how it went from you know a production standpoint, it was always going to be awesome that Andrew McCutcheon came back to Pittsburgh. But it's just it's so much cooler the fact that it is going the way that it is. I don't think anybody could have asked for anything more. He's been the best player on the team. 
yeah, I don't, I don't know how you could ask for anything more than what he's provided this year. And granted, like, okay, he might not be going out there and playing center field every day like he used to, so you're not seeing him play defense as much. He's kind of either the DH or playing some right field maybe here and there. But it's just what you're getting on a nightly basis at the plate, and he still has, has those super fast hands, the bat that's around super quick. He's obviously not the biggest guy, but he generates so much power because of his bat speed still. Um, which is like the thing that you start to question, like if his game is ever going to go, it's going to be because he loses that bat speed. His eyes still always going to be great, better than any umpire around the league. Probably he knows the strike zone at this point better. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super cool. I mean, he's really like leading the charge right now for again, a pirates team that is five games over 500, which is not something that we would have expected at this point. They are hey, end the season right now. And the pirates are in the playoffs. So let's just, keep having fun and 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 while we can because we don't know how long this is going to last but this is a really fun baseball team and whether or not the outside wants to believe in them they 100 certainly believe in each other within that clubhouse right now yeah i mean it's it's been a lot of fun we're a few weeks in the season and it's been a lot of fun then that's that's something we we mentioned so many times because i want to point out they haven't had an off day since the day after the after opening day oh really yeah, hmm. and they still don't. They're going, they still don't. They, they, they started to come to play uh, Cincinnati, right? Yeah. This so, I I mean, the thing that we've kept talking about, it's just been a lot of fun. And after the past few seasons that we had, really since the start of like 2020 season, that that shortened season, mm-hmm. which was on pace for a hundred loss season, um, and then you have 2021 100 loss season and 2022 100 loss season. You know, it, it's just I really appreciate having a fun team and honestly, the best team in Pittsburgh right now. I it, I don't really think you can argue it. Um, <laughs> we'll 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 see what it is in like a month or two. But as of right this this second, the Pirates are the best team in Pittsburgh, and they're the most entertaining team in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I think that the one thing that's really going to be tested, we talked about it, is going to be the pitching. Um, cause you look at the guys that have done so well this year, they're going to have to keep it up because there's really nothing to support them with the loss of JT Brubaker at the major league level. And even like a Mike Burroughs, who was knocking on the door, I still really not, no information on him. So who knows? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you got Lou, Luis Ortiz right now. Who's pro- we're probably going to see, I would assume at the MLB level at some point, then it really thins out, you know, you go through like eight starting pitchers a year on average. I really don't know where those names are coming from right now for the pirates. So between that in the fact that like the one thing that Sherrington, I mean, I think that there's a ton of things that he's done wrong through his tenure, but building a bullpen was something that Neil Huntington was always able to do. Even when the pirates weren't good, Sherrington, for whatever reason is just, seems incapable of doing so. He only added one major league reliever this off season in Yarlene Garcia. And we haven't even seen him yet due to injury. I just, you really better hope Colin Holderman holds up in that eighth inning role and, you know, Dwayne Underwood Jr. continues to pitch the way that he has kind of in like that seventh inning role. Maybe it's Stevenson in the seventh inning role. But like Will Crow, no, he's not giving you anything right now. Oh, Moretta has been, you know, a pretty nice find. You better hope that he holds up too. It's a lot of question marks in that bullpen right now. There's no proven commodities, in my opinion. And, you know, if they falter, I just, I, where are the answers coming from? Well, I, I think I can relate the bullpen to, kind of walking on a frozen lake. So so right now <laughs> there, there there's there's some starters that are not there's there's some bullpen arms that are giving you some quality innings um and giving you some quality outings. But 
as you walk further into the ice and you get longer into the season, you might be able to see, see some cracks and hear some cracks and eventually you might fall through the, the pirates don't want to get to that point. And the bullpen right now they're, they're above water um, that they're walking on the solid ice. But <laughs> I, I think that this, this bullpen is really capable of falling through the ice very quickly because they only have a couple arms that can give you those quality outings right now. Um, and, and we're not including David Bednar. He's the quote-unquote clo- clo- closer, whatever you want to call him. He, mm-hmm. sh- he should just pitch oh, yeah. in the highest When I talk about the unproven commodities, but, he's certainly not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but for the arms that are performing well that aren't really a proven commodity that haven't been here, they're, they're on the solid ice, but quickly that can change to thin ice real quick, and the Pirates' bullpen could fall through, and they, they could turn into something pretty bad and if, if you start getting some less quality innings from your starters as well, it could turn into a really bad situation, and you're really relying on the offense at that point. So yeah. you better hope, if you're Ben Sherrington, that this is going to work out as a bullpen. Otherwise, you're if you're looking to improve it, you might as well start looking in the outside because it's not really going to come from AAA right now. I do want to say too, like, don't get me wrong, because I, I actually I do have faith in Colin Holderman. I, I liked him in New York. I kind of thought that was a sneaky nice move, getting him back in the Vodelbach deal. As much as I like Daniel Vodelbach, um, Holderman had some really good underlying numbers with the Mets, and I think that we, you know, last year didn't end so great for him in Pittsburgh, but this year, at least the start, has gone the way that those underlying numbers would suggest that it would have gone, like his time in Pittsburgh should have gone. So. Uh, yeah, I kind of I like him, whether that's, you know, as the setup guy or traditional setup guy or like if that's the role, I'm not necessarily sure. But I do think he is very much a capable bullpen piece. So um, I'll be curious to see how it plays out. But again, Andrew McCutcheon leading the charge. Let's just keep having fun game in and game out because this isn't the same team. And uh, it's really nice to just be able to actually like turn on a baseball game and enjoy it. And that's where we're at right now. I, I would normally just not turn on the game. <laughs> but you, you know uh and then wrapping us up this week this isn't always normally the order that we go in but obviously having jesse and danny on we had to do it this way not a whole lot to talk about with the steelers where we got from the draft next week we're gonna have a ton of stuff probably doing yeah. our uh annual first round mock drafts with our guys jake and richie on here as well probably either the two night last year we did it the night before we got to see what our schedules are because also we've been recording the show the night before because we do the show on wednesday typically so we got to schedule that. Uh, actually, breaking the fourth wall again. I did see that Jake DM'd us about it, so we'll have to get back to him after recording the show, Jake. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, anyways, what I'm trying to get at here is a lot more get football it all conversation. Live. Yeah, a lot more football raw, and uncut. And uh, for that reason, not a whole lot to talk about this week. However, the Steelers did make a move. Potentially, I'm going to ask you a question again in a second. But let's just talk about the move at first. Allen Robinson coming to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, talking about a name, like from a name recognition standpoint, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people know who Allen Robinson is. A really highly touted guy coming out of Penn State, was a productive receiver in Jacksonville before going to Chicago where he was pretty good. L.A. paid him to kind of be like that Robert Woods replacement, paid him to be the wide receiver two next to Cup. Things didn't really work out that way. Obviously, Safford was injured. Then Cup was injured. Robinson himself suffered a foot injury that limited him to 10 games. A lot of different factors there that really limited his production. And obviously, L.A. looking to move out from under that contract. They swapped seventh-round picks, and the Steelers pay $5 bucks, And that's it. You get Allen Robinson out of the deal. So that sounds pretty good to me. Um, 
because it's to me it's it's low risk. I mean, even if it doesn't work out, you know, five million bucks for a receiver for one year, it, it is what it is. I but I think what it offers you is insurance in case, you know, Calvin Austin isn't that guy. Like a, a ton of people wanted to go into the season just assuming Calvin Austin can be the wide receiver three slot option for this team with no you know, track record to prove that that's the case other than the team liked him enough to take him in the fourth round. And that was it. Looked pretty good until he got hurt in training camp. But this gives you a proven commodity in that room. It gives you a wide receiver that's over the age of 26 because they didn't have that prior to this. Just a veteran in that room. Um, I Just a lot of things to like about this deal. And the only thing to, I guess, to kind of dislike is, yeah, he's got some injury history as recently as last year. And obviously at his age and the injury history, he's not going to be the same player, but you're not asking him to be a wide receiver one or even a wide receiver two at this point. He's a wide receiver three. That's probably going to play. He played a third of his snaps last year in the slot. I don't know about you, but I kind of assume that's going to be his role here too. Yeah. And that's why I thought some of the reaction that I saw for, uh, some of the fans from Alan Alan Robinson being signed was kind of a overreaction in a way, and, and I'm not talking about like the good reaction, like ex- being excited about it. Like, like the ones that really are like, why are they bringing Alex Alan Robinson? He's washed up. I don't want him. Like, I, I feel like that perspective is you're looking at the trade for if as if we we're trading for a number one receiver, and we're not. We're like you said, we're trading for a number three receiver. And I feel like for what we had to give up, what he's going to cost, that that's a good trade and a good move to make for a number three receiver. Because despite what a lot of fans or or, or people around the team might want to think, like you needed another receiver. And as much as I want to believe in Calvin Austin, you, you definitely still needed to add somebody to that room. And I think the veteran presence like, like Allen Robinson brings, we're not going to ask him to be a thousand yard receiver this year. But I, I think that he's still somebody that could be productive um, in, in that wide receiver three role. Um, you, you know, I, I think that whether this changes what they do in the draft, I, I and I know that you, you were starting to ask me that, but they didn't end up I, asking You know, me. I was going to. This is probably like the fourth yeah. straight episode or something where like the Steelers have made a signing or trade. And I've been like, oh, do you think that's going to affect their, their draft plans? So here's what I'll say about what if what it affects does it affect them taking a wide receiver whatsoever no does it affect them taking a wide receiver with their first four picks yes i i don't i don't think that they're going to have much much stress i i i don't even know that they were going to take a wide receiver in the first place with one of their first four picks i'm just looking at you you have the need that was filled and also side note one of the most asinine things was the people on the fan like Andrew Filippone, Chris Muller asking, does this open up the the possibility for the Steelers to move on from Deontay Johnson? Yeah, because that makes a lot of sense. Let's <laughs> trade for a wide receiver, a position of need, and then trade away our number one wide receiver to create favorite, that position of need again. My that makes so much part, sense. That's true. That's true. My favorite part of it, though, was Pony had back-to-back tweets saying that Allen Robinson – was you know a washed commodity at this point but then asking that question about i just don't understand the question yeah alan robinson's wash but his arrival now makes their best receiver expendable like (laughs) Like, like, what do you what are you supposed to do in that scenario you trade for alan robinson and then you trade away deontay johnson 
and then you're going to need to take a wide receiver within your first probably three picks. Otherwise, your wide receiver room gets a way thinner. I mean, even thinner than it was. It was prior to trading for yeah, Alex. You just made Alan your wide Robinson. receiver room worse. You just made it worse. It made, that thought process makes no sense to me. Um, but yeah, so back to the draft. I just don't think that they're going to take one within like the first four picks that they have, and, and that's something that would have changed. I don't necessarily think that they would have made that 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 pick anyway. I think it depends on what receivers become of would have become available as the draft unfolds with some of those probably like that third and fourth round pick is where I would have looked them to, to take a receiver. But I, really I, I think that the, they're really going to fall in love with it. They would have to really fall in love with a guy to yeah. take one. And I just don't see that happening. Um, I, I think that you, you go through the season with Allen Robinson and you, they probably look at, at taking one sometime next draft. But as for this yeah. one, if they take one with their, their last three picks, then it is what it is. That guy probably won't even make the team as it is. There's a there's a high chance that that wouldn't happen. But I I, I or last f- four picks because they don't have a fifth or sixth or last two picks they don't have a fifth or sixth. They have, yeah, two, they have sevenths. two sevenths. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, that's what I meant. But I don't I don't think that they're going to draft a receiver now, at least with the high up. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I it, it stinks because they made this deal the same day that I made a video on Jonathan Mingo, who I would absolutely have loved for the he, Steelers. He's someone that I really like. Yeah, um, but I I actually like even if they do draft a receiver, that exact type of receiver is the one I think this move rolled out. Like the guy with the inside outside versatility, bigger slot. Like that's that's Allen Robinson, just obviously much older. So to me, Jonathan Mingo would be off the table. I think, yeah, they're going to have to like really love a Jaden Reed or a Bryce Ford Wheaton. And I think Jaden Reed goes probably in like, that would have to be pick 80. If he even fell that far, I don't see that as a possibility. So I, I'll keep open the idea of a receiver going at 120, a Bryce Ford Wheaton or a Charlie Jones or something like that. Um, but I don't, I'm not saying it's a guy I really like happen. that is going to be gone sooner than those guys is Rasheed Rice from smu yeah i think um, we'll go like round three yeah but that's, i just wanted to throw another name out there as a, of a guy I like shout out to him he lost to byu in a bowl game good for him <laughs> um but i, I think here, here's what i will say the last couple days has made me think is and, I, and i'm ecstatic about this i think darnell washington is a very real possibility here we 32. go here we go. Back on this. I think <laughs> I think I think that they've they had him in for a visit. So now it's like him and Sam Laporta they've shown interest in. That's two of the consensus top five tight ends now that they've you know shown interest in. So they're at least sniffing around that market. We've been talking about Allen Robinson being like the wide receiver three or whatever. Strip labels away from this. Pat Fryermuth is a weapon in the passing game as well. So really Robinson can be like your fourth best pass catcher at that point. I think that the Steelers want to establish a completely different identity. I mean, it's, they've been trying to establish it. They just haven't been good at it in terms of running the football. We started to see that obviously come around towards the end of last season. Obviously upgrading the offensive line is going to help in that way too, but you need to pull it all together an inline blocking tight end with obviously the pass catching upside. It's not like he's just a blocker. Mm-hmm. Darnell Washington at 32, I think over the past 48 hours, I've really started to like come around on and I think it's in play. I, I think for sure, if you're talking about wide receiver, not having to be part of the equation anymore within those first three, four picks, 
I think tight end is definitely in play, and I think that's the exact mold of tight end they want on this team. And no, I don't think the Zach Gentry for one year, like minimum, <laughs> whatever he's making, is, is preventing them from taking that guy. Let me ask you this. So if that were to happen, they, they mm-hmm. take him at 32, which position are they not taking with one of their first two picks? Corner. I think, and this goes completely against you know what I've been what I was saying before. And and this tells me that Andy Weidel. I mean, we Con said he was running the draft board. We we had already known that that was said publicly. But with what I brought up on here regarding text that I've gotten, where where Tomlin was on some players, where Andy Weidel was on some players. What this tells me is Andy Weidel really has a lot more pull than what we might even think on the surface. And they're, I, I think that they would go offensive line at 17. That's their preference, I think. They could go mm-hmm. a different position, but I'm saying in their ideal scenario, they're getting Broderick Jones or Paris Johnson in the first round. Okay, so they're trading up or they are I mean, maybe trading up again. Because there's a good chance that neither of those guys are there. And there's at that point, chance, but here, there's okay. And this is, you know, I'm not saying buy into all the smoke, right? But I see a world where one of those two fall to 17. And that world is Hendon Hooker going in the first 16. We would need that to happen, I think. Hendon Hooker? Yeah. Who like, has been linked to Washington? He's been is, linked to is Minnesota. Is that like a real thing? Like him going I, in the I, first I, round? He's, he's going to go in the first round. I, I don't have a doubt about that. I think he's going in the first round. It could so be after our be, pick, but I th- but I'm just saying this is the scenario. Be five quarterbacks in the first round. There's gonna be five quarterbacks in the first twenty picks. I think. That's insane. I mean, I'm not saying so, you're wrong. I just think that's crazy. Just yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think the world where this happens for the Steelers, what they would need to happen have happen is that those five quarterbacks. Probably, you know, three, even if we can get four cornerbacks, and that would completely, to me, if you get four cornerbacks, there's no way Steelers are going corner, I wouldn't think. Um, but that's, I mean, that's nine right there. Uh, if Bijan goes in that range, too, I mean, there's a lot of smoke at 14 to New England. There's some talk about eight at Atlanta, maybe in like a trade down scenario for somebody, because if uh, Tennessee wants to go up, to get a quarterback, whoever's moving down to 11 could take Bijan there. Mm-hmm. So I think that would need to happen. And then like a couple receivers, Jalen Carter, I think would have to go Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, a couple edge rushers. Like I realistically think just based off looking at, you know, McShay's mock draft, Kuiper's mock draft, all these guys that are well plugged in. A lot of them have either Broderick Jones or Paris Johnson being available at pick 17. The Steelers not even having to trade up. The one that would be surprising to me is Paris Johnson, though. Like, if if you're a team, why would you... I I I just I I have him as the clear cut number one tackle. Well, I think so, that's the difference. Is so do I. I I mean, te- other teams must or like these people that are well connected must feel like there are enough teams that that don't have him as number one. Okay. In order to put him there, um. And that, I mean, I know a lot of people feel safer about like Skaronsky in terms of just like him being a really solid offensive lineman. Now, is that going to be a tackle? I think that's going to be dependent got on Oompa Loompa arms. What are we doing yeah. here? And I think with Broderick, you're chasing that up. I mean, I mean, Paris is young too, but Broderick tested a little bit better than Paris did. Still only 21. 
I would be comfortable with either. I just think Paris is more ready to go day one. Yeah. And let me go back to what I was going to say before we like started talking about the scenario. Um, I'm actually about it, to write this down. If, and figure out. If, if, if both of those guys are gone, Broderick Jones and Paris Johnson Jr. before pick 17, the only tackle I would want to take at that point at 17 would be Anton Harris. And after that, I, I'm, I'm good on passing on tackle. Yeah. At, at that pick specifically, I mean. So going through here, I'm just going through guys that like are definitely going to go um, or like early, right? Bryce, CJ Stroud, Levis, Richardson, uh, Anderson, Will Anderson Jr. Carter. Would we put would we put Tyree Wilson there? Like, do you feel like he's pretty safe top ten? I I mean, if he's not top ten, he's going to be gone before the Steelers pick. So yeah, yeah, Christian Gonzalez. I would think so, but there was that mock. There was whose mock draft was it that the, he he got mocked to the Steelers? That was early on, though, right? That wasn't recently. I don't know. I, I thought there was one recent. Oh, where or Devin Witherspoon was taken in the top ten, and Christian Gonzalez fell to seventeen. I don't know. I know. I know one of one of the PFF guys has Christian Gonzalez as CB six in this class. That's why PFF is only good when it's convenient for <laughs> is it, PFF is only good when it's convenient for your argument. And that's it. Any other time, it's not good. So I got twelve guys right now. That's not including Hendon Hooker that I that are guaranteed to go before the Steelers. Like no question in my mind. I almost feel like. Lucas Van Ness is pretty safe to say too. Yeah, probably. Um, I'd I'd put him ahead. Do you feel like for sure Skaronsky goes? Like we real we've been talking about Broderick or Paris. <sighs> that's that's the tough part. Is I have to take my bias. And by the way, I by the way, I would take Skaronsky. Oh yeah, I, I'd take I'd take yeah. Skaronsky. Don't get me wrong, but like, I'm gonna make fun of him. Short arms, <laughs> but but I would I would think that Van Ness is probably gone before, um, before seventeen because he's in the upper echelon also, of the edge rushers. Would be very nice for the Steelers if somebody falls in love with Kalaja Kansi in that pass rush upside and takes yeah. him like top fifteen. Yeah, but speaking of like edge rushers, so like you have Will Anderson. And then you have Tyree Wilson, and then I think you have Van Ness, but then I think there's a drop off after. I that. don't have I don't have Tyree Wilson's too. I I I, I'm I, just thinking... I love Nolan Smith, who by the way he could go in that range too. There's a lot of smoke. He could. Yeah. So I just, it'll be I, I just think it, like edge is a commodity that's so valuable to the NFL. That yeah. it, 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 either it's... you're a quarterback, you're protecting the quarterback, or you're getting after the quarterback. Those are the most valuable positions. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but we're, we're, by the time this podcast comes out and you're listening to it, we are a week well, away. Listen to this part. So nobody will be listening to this part. We're an hour 46. <laughs> this is definitely our yeah, longest my, show since I'm like looking at 2019. My phone. I'm looking at my phone right now about to read the stuff to wrap up. So yeah, this um, has got to be the longest show since 2019. 
yeah, we're going to get out of here. We're going to have a lot more content to get, coming to you guys next week. There will be, I'm going to put out some clips of the show. I might actually clip that entire portion where Jesse and Danny were on and put that out as a separate video. Um, just because it was such a good conversation, covered a lot of yeah. things. Um, uh, but other than that, uh, as you look in the description of the show, wherever you are watching or listening, you're going to see several links to different things. Uh, a lot of those uh, are going to be st- like, there's a couple GoFundMe's. Um, one is, you know, one that we've been pushing for six months now. Over six months. Six yeah. Months. The, uh, the Isla Keen Fund, uh, our friend Dalton Keen tragically lost his life and left behind a two-year-old daughter in the process. And um, Isla had a GoFundMe set up for her and all the proceeds to that obviously go to her future and just helping take away the financial burden that is going to be created um, from this tragic loss throughout her entire life. Um, Along with that, Amy LaMasters uh, also lost her life um, to breast cancer a couple months ago and a GoFundMe was put in place for all the bills and everything, obviously the financial burden that that is created by that. Um, And we will have the link to that down there as well um dalton that i mentioned um we're doing a golf outing in his name it's going to be a yearly thing this is the first one that we're going to be going with this year uh it's going to be on may 13th so less than a month away at blackhawk golf course at 2 p.m uh get involved come hang out i'm gonna have some giveaways that we got there as well they're going to be doing a bunch of different baskets and stuff like that there's gonna be food there's gonna be drinks so come hang out even if you don't want to play golf um yeah and then the last one is going to be and you guys are going to see me probably wearing a couple shirts from her uh my friend Haley has set up a custom shop um everything custom designs and we're going to have the link to her facebook for that as well as the etsy shop in the bottom it started out i believe as like baby's clothes but then like she had a bunch of requests to start doing stuff like t-shirts for concerts or sporting events so she's kind of doing whatever people want now so the link to that will be in the description of this as well uh, so yeah, you're going to see just a bunch of different links down there. And, uh, if I, I wish that there was a way to put a picture, like, so I could just put the flyer for this golf outing down there, but come on YouTube. That that's, that's true. And I don't want to say this without her, her, her idea, but like an around the 412 shirt from her potentially. We should, we should be able to make, you'd think that we'd be able to make that happen. I've known Haley for God, seven years now. What a terrible seven years. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right, but uh, you got anything else? No, no. This is a long show. Let's just yeah. wrap it up. And shout out again to Jesse and Danny for coming on for a good portion of this show. We will get yeah. them back on at some point yeah. in the offseason. Uh, Hunter will be on Hunter at sucks. some point. <laughs> Hunter will Hunter. be on. At some point. <laughs> we said very, two very different things there about Hunter. Um but other than that, follow us on all of our shows. I, I feel bad. Go go listen to his show at Locked On Penguins Podcast. Okay. We will not put the link to that in the description. We won't put the link, but, but <laughs> go, listen go, go listen to it. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Leave us a like. Hit that notification bell. Comment down below. It really helps out the channel and its growth as well. Do that in all of our videos that we put out. Hit that notification bell so when, you know when we put out a video immediately, as soon as you get it, before you even watch the video, bam, bam, bam. All the good stuff for the video. Five star review where we can find it. I mean, no one's listening at this point. But go follow our channels on the, the on the listening platforms. Like at around the four one two. I I understand there's going to be three of them. We are the one that look does at the logo. not have. What's that? Look at look for the logo because the logo. Yeah, oh yeah, different. look yeah. look for the logo that is our Twitter handle. Okay, yeah. 
don't don't look at the two logos that have they're the circle with the 412 they have the skyline and everything we are a new channel we have we have not really been pushing that as much as we should we'll probably start to do that more as well as i'll, I'll mention that with the socials at the beginning as well mm-hmm. um but but that's just something we need to push because we want to get a listen yeah we got a whole link tree and listen. all the you know it's, it's right there so we're open with you we just want to get sponsored okay <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> Shout out to our longest running sponsor, though. Constantly, Keats Barbershop is always bringing nope. you the show. Their logo That's is right. above Tyler. Yep. Right there. Right there. But uh, until next time, we'll be back next week, like I said, for a couple different shows. You'll see our faces more than a normal week next week, and we're looking forward to all the football content. But until then, for Smitty, for Tyler, we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.